I'm uh, I'm really glad that uh, you wanted to join me on this new little show, and I appreciate we getting a little chance to talk with you about your writing. I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity to get to talk about my writing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I'll just do the formal introduction, and uh, I'll introduce you, and we'll just continue doing what we're doing, because this is a pretty casual show. Um, so, hey, welcome back uh, to Between the Lines. I am here with uh, another great writer, a friend of mine by the name of Colleen Hurst, and she's going to be talking about her writing. We're going to have a conversation uh, because Colleen just uh, has a new book out. So everyone's got to got to know where this book is and how to get it. Well, oh, there it is. Yes, very nice. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to doing our book swap. You know, yeah, you got two books. I've got I've got some, you know, I don't know which ones of mine you'd like to read. Um The Western. Okay, Gage Black, Hell's Revenge. And then I think The Cozy. Okay. That's the what yeah, the uh twas the week after Christmas, right? Yeah. That's the first one. Yeah, I'm working on the second one of that series right now. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, about halfway through the rough draft. And, and the first uh, book in the series that I just published my second book of is this one. Yeah, Bloodlines. Hold it closer to the camera. We can see it. Yeah, and Tilt It Forward just a touch. Yeah, nice. Those are really gorgeous covers. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, this is the first novel. And then this one's the second. The yeah, third. that one, that color, that red pops off of that dark background there. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. expecting it to be three or four books long, but book three is going to take me a little longer to get out because I actually have to write that one. <laughs> I so have you, uh -huh. things I want to put into the story, but I have to add detail and organize the storyline where in a way that makes sense. Sure. Well, that's good. You know, I mean, that's writing's always a process that. For, you know, the indie writers or the writers who are listening or watching, um, they understand that. But we'll talk, we'll talk all about that. The Darkami Crystals Chronicles, is that how I'm pronouncing it right? Darkami? Darkami Chronicles, yeah. Darkami? Darkami. Darkami. Okay, good, good. Yeah, Bloodlines. And what's the, what's the new book called? The Rising Darkness. The Rising Darkness. That's a great title. I'm going to put that in my notes. Let's talk about you as a writer. Um, okay. You know, we'll we'll just kind of go back and start at the earliest kinds of of questions, you know, and concepts. Like, who are some of your favorite writers? You know, growing up, or you know, when you think back, mm -hmm. when you were when you were learning to, you know, or reading for pleasure, you know, over the years, who are some of the writers that you really yeah. like? I, when I was in elementary school, I liked authors like Roald Dahl, mm -hmm. um, Beverly Cleary. Yeah. Um, I liked to read a lot when I was younger. And then as I got towards high school, I, I really, really missed bookseller bookstore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I would write, um, I've never heard, I don't know if you've heard of Claire McNally. She no. was a horror writer. Mm -mm. She did some books called Ghost House and Ghost House Revenge. That yeah. it was a book that once I picked it up and started reading it, I couldn't put it down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it was the best kind, you know. Yeah. But yeah. my writing actually started as 
an expansion of writing backstories for role-playing characters that I played oh, okay. um, in D and D and live action vampire. Um, I started writing backgrounds for those characters to give to the storyteller that ran the game so that they could incorporate background stuff into the game and, and help immerse the players into the storyline. So I started doing it, doing that. Um, I had a, a character that she was, well, she wasn't simple minded. Her personality was childlike, but she would pass information on from her character to other prominent characters in the game by writing little poems um, and kind of hiding messages in those poems, which is okay. how I written poetry. And then the storylines or the, the fiction that I started writing came from expanding on the story, the character's backstory. Um, I've got probably a half a dozen fiction works that are in various states of drafting. And I've been writing, working on some of those for probably at least some of them going back as far as 15 years or so. Wow. But the Dark Comedy Chronicles is the one I chose. Once I hit 50 years old, a few years ago, <laughs> I was like, wait a second. I started all the stuff. Look at all the, these things I started and never finished. And now I have even less time to get them done. Right. <laughs> so right. You hit I an mean, age where you start to feel the encroaching encroachment of time. You know, yes, like, and, uh, I got to get things done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm right there with you. You're, uh, um, yeah, your mortality starts getting closer to you. you. You can either use that as a motivator or a depressant. I chose to use it as a motivator. Yeah. And that's what started me pushing to, to finish these novels to get them pr printed. Yeah. And the... Well, I mean, I was there from early on in the process of your first book, um, and I'm I'm really quite surprised at how quickly the second one came together. Of course, I think at the first book, I think I remember you were wanting to create this gigantic tome, and I, yeah. I remember saying, you got to split this up into smaller yeah, books, was, right? Because you had like a thousand pages or something. I'm like, you can't put a thousand page book out. <laughs> you know, who are you, L. Ron Hubbard? You know, you can't. can't you, the world yeah. doesn't eat another battlefield earth, you know, we don't, um, cause you would never have made a dollar. You'd have to sell it for like 30 bucks to, you know, through KDP. <laughs> it would be and, yeah, gigantic. It was, I did take your advice on that and, and I'm glad I did. I think you're absolutely right. We don't need a Shogun thickness book. The, we got a, no, those like this thing, this oh, monster. Geez. You know, yeah, manual. this manual style, the sucker, it's over 1,100 pages long. This this would have been your book. That's intimidating. And I know. would not have read it. No, I said, well, you break that up into like three smaller books, yeah. they'll eat it up like candy, you know? I'm hoping they will. So far, the reviews I got from the people that have read book one, uh, Bloodlines, has been very positive. That's good. I, I, 
was trying to be conscientious when I was proofreading it to to write it at a young adult level so mm-hmm. that it's not overly complicated. Right. Because it is kind uh, of a YA fantasy in a way. It's yeah. um, it's not overly, you know, gruesome or dark or sexual, anything like that. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's high, it's high fantasy is what it is. It's very escapist, you know, I'm a firm believer in it, that there's ways to convey adult topics mm-hmm. without getting into the nitty gritty. Right. Right. So that's why I, you know, I think the way I worded some things were successful in alluding to things happening that people understand are happening, but they, you know, it's not all mucked up with, you know, gory details or anything like that. Right. Right. I mean, gore has its place in, in, if you want, you know, want to use it, you know, Gage Black, the one you want to read, that's, that's gory. Um, It's dark. It's gruesome. It's grim and violent. You know, it is relentlessly so, but that was intentional you know, to convey the bleakness of this character's plight, Um, you know, so, and, and I think revenge should be bloody and gruesome to be satisfying. You know, you, you have to make it satisfying in some way. And that's how I would want my revenge. You know, none of this forgive and forget. No, fuck that. You know, I want revenge. God damn it. Um, (laughs) You know, and that's what this character, you know, you get the, work that out through that but um oh, that's yeah fine. that's okay oh, i was just say that's that's one thing i think that that readers will like about your book if they want high fantasy but they don't want it to be too gruesome but they mm-hmm. want a really rich world i think that's a, the dark comedy chronicles i think your world um has that going for it and and that's really kind of what i wanted to talk with you a little bit about like okay you have this world that you've designed. So when you're imagining your world, like how do you design uh, your world when you're thinking about it? You know, can you talk a little bit about your creative process uh, as you've designed this world? Sure. Um, But first let me say, touch on what you were talking about, about the gruesome stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I wanted, I chose to keep that kind of detail out of my books because I didn't want it to detract from the main plot line Mm -hmm. and I thought it it would deter people's attention away from the core premise of the book, the books. Um, It would take away from the main characters and their, their purpose in the, in the books. I I think I'd like to think of it as fantasy with a hint of romance and a smidgen of comedy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you, like, if you could sum up the core of the essence of the book for people who've, who are interested, how would you describe it? And you just did, you know? Yeah. I, uh, as far as inspirations and where the idea came from, from mm-hmm. this, um, I guess it's kind of a mishmash of D and D characters or the, you know, Dungeons and Dragons characters that I've written up or played in previous game sessions. Um, Plus a a little bit of inspiration from some anime cartoons that I've seen. Not cartoons, they're not really cartoons, but the anime 
um, style characters. Mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of plus my own spiritual path of druidism uh, went into a, a little bit of creating the world in that nature and its connectivity with everything else is like an essence of their I, I didn't refer to it as a religion and I didn't refer to it as a philosophy. I referred to it in the book as history because okay. from their perspective, it is what happened. It is how the world got created. It is how everything is connected. Um, so what, what some of people like historically in our world would call mythology you're saying, well, mythology is actually real history for other people. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah, I think I, I like that concept because it reminds me a little bit of the ancient aliens theory. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I've, I've heard little fragments of it. Um, but essentially, the theory says extraterrestrial visitors have visited Earth in the past. And because any any civilization that doesn't comprehend high technology will will look at it as being magic so we have all these aliens coming down who look like us or slightly different than us and who had technology at their disposal and the peoples here um thought it was magic thought that they were gods so a lot of the stories we have and then some people say that these are like your like your people like this is our literal history the sky people came down they taught us mathematics blah 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 and we for thousands of you know hundreds of years has basically dismissed these stories as mythology whereas you know there were no gods like zeus was not a god you know, um, Horus was not a god, but they were, might have been legitimate extraterrestrial visitors who had, through technology, were thought of as gods. And those stories just kind of passed in our religious books, you know, from like Jacob's Ladder and the Ezekiel's Wheel and the Flaming Chariots and the Pillar of Fire that was God, you know, all these kinds of things. And so that, it was was history for them because this really happened and over time academics who love to dismiss things as those primitive peoples didn't know what they were talking about uh they've kind of dismissed it as mythology but when you really look at these things and what these stories are and if you filter or change the filter in the lens a little bit just look at the possibility of extraterrestrials then it makes sense it makes sense in a lot of ways and um, that's kind of one thing I like in your book that you had just oh, mentioned. It's that, that these these mythologies, this history of magic. It's just this is this is real, you know. This is just the assumption that we know these things are real because this is how we live, you know. And I, that's one thing I like about your world. I uh, I kind of tend to look at things like in the past, um, like you know, Moses parting the Red Sea or some of these other things that are considered miracles or like you said, that could possibly be attributed to aliens being here. But I also look at it as some, some of the things are probably just natural occurrences, natural disasters, things that happen that people didn't have the ability to comprehend for what it was, so they considered it 
a miracle or you know something mm-hmm. religious some you know god did this or whoever did you know but i think a lot of the stuff that you read in mythology and in the bible because technically it's really mythology too i mean it's either all mythology or it's all not mythology yeah um but you read the stuff and you're like, yeah, th- th- this is possibly a com- compilation of ordinary people doing extraordinary things in a time when people didn't comprehend a lot of the things we now understand through science. Sure. Right. And it just got passed down and it becomes truth because it's through the filter of faith, you yes. know, and faith is irrational, you know, um, especially certain religions are are more irrational than others back to the dark comedy chronicles it's the setting takes place in two different time periods if you can imagine one being kind of like victorian era england mm-hmm. and the other one being early middle uh early middle ages um and the character the main characters each come one comes from one era, the other comes from the past, and um, their lives intersect unexpectedly, but through fate, some would say they were destined to meet because they have this goal to rid the world, their world, of the rising darkness, dark magic, magic that corrupts and creates evil people doing bad things and mm-hmm. um which is completely contrary to what the creator in this world had originally designed life to do was to interact be different aspects of the same whole but you know do things in a positive way or, or be at least be neither good or bad. Yeah. You know, somewhere and just be participating in life and living itself in positive ways without, Mm. you know, causing harm to others or doing all kinds of things. You know, there's that saying that for every good idea, there's like, and I'm sure this number is not real, a bazillion ways to do it, <laughs> to use that good idea in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the basic overall um, essence in this story is the creator created the world, doing positive things. But she understood that at some point there may be there, uh, uh, an entity may rise up and decide to use her magic, her creations for bad reasons. So she created a stone of power to fight back that darkness and the it, evil. When, um, it, when it popped and, up. Yes. And then she shatters the stone of power and spreads it out into different areas so that if somebody was looking for it, they wouldn't be able to find, they wouldn't be just finding the whole stone. They would have to find all pieces of the stone mm. to put it back together to be able to, to use its power. 
but it's a race between Kahira and Rave, who are the two main characters, trying to find all of these pieces to reassemble the Stone of Power to fight back the Lord or the, the leader of the dark forces. His name's Kal. And he's continuing to corrupt beings and spread his dark magic and, and trying to create a, an army to take over everything. Sounds like a character I could get behind. You know, <laughs> what's, what's your world's name? The world's name? Yeah. You do you have what? a, do you have a name for it? <laughs> I do not. You know what? That, after all of this other stuff, I never really thought about giving it the yeah. world. Have you, name. And thought of it like drawing a map so that the readers I have something thought, in their mind. That is something I thought about doing is drawing. A yeah. Map. And I'm like, it started I'm with Conan with Robert E. Howard when he did the Conan stories in the 1930s. He, he drew the map of the Hyborian world where Conan was, which is essentially yeah. Africa and, and Northern Europe and, and, um, you know, yeah, Europe my mother used to read this a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he started it. Tolkien kind of took off and I mean, but every fantasy writer since right. pretty much has a map, you know, you open up the first page and you see this map like, Oh, okay. Now I know where things are at. So got something to consider, you it know, is. drawing yeah. a map, just, just throwing it out there as a possibility. <laughs> I've thought about it a few times. Um, but admittedly, I'm kind of techno resistant. In fact, you were one of the ones who, one of my teachers in college, who told me I need to learn how to use the word processor in a computer because you were tired of getting typed up papers ahead were half full of whiteout. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now it's um, all these years later, it's so much more prevalent. You know, everything is typed. It's, I keep a notebook for writing notes in, and sometimes I'm like, my hand's like, what do I do with this? You know, because I'm used to typing, you know. Um, no, I, I get it. I Because I was going to, you know, in my cozy, I've got this little town, and I've drawn it out for myself. And then as I write each book, I've got, I'm adding new things to it. So I'm kind of developing this map as I go, um, and I plan to put it in the fourth book you know, the last book, like here's the town, you know, cause okay. I, so everyone knows where everything is, you know, um, uh, you could say, because I, I've kind of created a, um, like a word, word map for my books mm -hmm. because I, I use the spread, uh, Excel spreadsheet to keep track of, characters locations plot ideas and stuff like that and what right. page they fall on in the book so that if i have to go back to verify something for continuity or whatever i know i just look it up in my spreadsheet and say oh i got to go back to this page to see what i wrote there so that mm -hmm. i don't write something different here yeah and, and you know have the reader going wait i thought this person had red hair now they got brown hair right <laughs> Because you forget between books. Yes. Yeah. When I started writing this next cozy, the second one, it had been a couple of years or a year or more since I'd written the first one. I had to go back and reread it because I had forgotten about it. You know, like I knew I wrote it, you know, but <laughs> well, I went back and like, I had no recollection of half the stuff, most of it. I'm like, wow, I don't remember writing that. 
that's not so bad. <laughs> that's not that's not the crap I thought I was gonna get. You know, <laughs> I didn't have like those too many cringe moments. Like, I I was really spared a lot of that, which would make me happy. But I had to remember, like, okay, who did what? What do I do? So now, my part of my process, because that's what I want to talk to you about next. Sure. Um, I I'm work. I got three things open on my com- monitor, my computer. Luckily, I have a pretty good sized monitor, like twenty four or twenty seven mm-hmm. inches, something like that. So in my center, I have my text that I'm working on. You know, the live draft. On my left side is where I keep like my notes, like my my outline. Yeah. Um, and it's highlighted in different colors. You know, my outline for this current book is around 23, 27 pages. Um, and on the right-hand side, I have my first cozy open. Because if I need to do something like, okay, but I don't remember this, what this character looks like or how this character speaks or whatever, and I will just do a quick search in Word. Like, I look up the character, and I find every instance where this person's name is. And I can go oh. looking very quickly, like, oh, okay, okay. That's what he or she looks like. You know, especially on the, the secondary characters, primary characters you remember, you know, but there's a whole, as you know, a whole cast of characters in your book. And some are like secondary and tertiary. And those are the ones I'm bringing more to light in this next book. And I'm introducing a ton more other characters, you know, and right. um, so it's just a matter of keeping track. But that's that's process for me. So I was going to ask you like your, your creative process too, like when you're plotting or writing, you know, how tell us or tell me or us or the millions <laughs> of us who are watching um, what's, what's your creative process like? Um, I think it's multi-layered. Um, part of, part of it comes from, uh, I am bipolar. Mm-hmm. So there are times in my manic phase where I get an abundance of creative energy and ideas that just kind of whirl around in my head um, until I write them down or type them somewhere. And um, that's kind of how the first draft of most of my books are. They're just things that pop in my head. Uh, Oftentimes when I'm getting ready to go to bed, I start getting ideas. Yeah, I know. Keep me awake, and I'm like, "Damn!" It's the worst thing. Like, <laughs> I've been up for all day. You had to wait till now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Which is why I bought that book to keep handy because I'll like wake up at three in the morning. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll write something down the next morning. I'm like, "What pancake waddle? What what did I mean by that?" You know. Right. <laughs> well, then I um that that's part of. I, if there is a positive side to bipolar, I would say the creative energy is it. And I try to harness it whenever Mm. I get it. Yeah. Um, Because I don't always, just because I'm in a manic phase doesn't mean I always get the creative energy. Sure. So, but when I get it, I use it. And, and, you know, the rest of the time is, I, I, I don't know. There's not like any, really any specific trigger that brings ideas to my head. But the Dark Comedy Chronicles, the first draft is basically ideas that are that I have to go back and reorganize and put into the story. Um, they're plot lines, subplots, and, and character development plots that I want to include. And I just type them as they came to me. And it's probably about 450 pages. So it's, it's a um, sizable book. Yeah. So if I'm understanding correctly, because that was my 
my follow-up was like the general question, are you a pantser or a plotter? Meaning, do you write by the seat of your pants or do you plot? You know, are you organizational freak? Like what kind of organizations do you use? It sounds like you kind of, you kind of write all these ideas and then just kind of throw them in where, when they come to you and then you try to organize where they will go in the book afterwards. Um, or do you have like an actual outline? Like, do you plot out the storyline, no. make an outline where you use all these ideas? Oh, here's why I want to arrange everything. And then you go from the top to the bottom. Well, I, the beginning and the end were the two things that I think I wrote first. The ideas for different things to do in between the beginning and the end um, came to me over time. And I would just type, like I said, I typed them in there, but um, I typed them in the first draft. But the first draft kind of sat untouched for a couple of years until, like I said, when I hit 50, 51, I started thinking, you know what, I need to do something with this. So then I started rewriting, you know, and not like rewriting as in getting rid of everything, but right. I started drafting. Using the drafting the, you know, the beginning and then started sticking events in, you know, I tried to organize them in some kind of order that makes sense and introducing new characters and, and you know, but you know, from writing and like you just said with your cozy, the further you get in there, the more characters you have to introduce, even if they're just secondary characters or something, mm-hmm. but you also have to further develop the main characters to allow the reader the ability to kind of understand and relate to those characters. Sure. They all have different roles. Yeah. When they can relate to them, they're more interested in finding out what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you've kind of, you got elements of the pantser and the plotter in a way, like the same process you go through. Cause that's how I started with, with my cozy was I, I created the town and then I realized, okay, what ever, there's so many things that have to be done in a town, like who's running it and who are the doctors and you know, who all the different kind of people who would inhabit a town and what they do. And once I had a list of like all the things that, would go in this cute little town that I wanted. Then I started making people to fill those spots. Like I'm going to need right. someone to work at the pizza place. I'm going to need someone who's a, who's a, who's a writer, you know, at the, at the, uh, you know, the newspaper, I'm going to need a dentist. I'm going to, you know, and then, and that's how the kind of the characters started taking shape, you know, first that I got a sense of the place first. And then I started, you know, I had this basic plot, an idea of the story, but then I started having the specifics like you just said, that these things come to you and I'll write them down. And then I start thinking, okay, I have all these specific ideas. Where do I put them in the larger story while I work in the cozy elements and all those things to kind of, you know, the, the connective tissue, you know, between <laughs> everything else. And uh, so that, that's interesting. Cause I mean, I've, I've seen your spreadsheets. I've seen the characters and all that, but I, um, I, I knew that was for your self-reference, but I didn't know that was part of your process. So that's fascinating to me. Thanks. I, um, I thought about doing an outline, but I, instead of going back to the beginning and doing a full outline, I just went back and looked at my first writings for the, the, the dark comedy chronicles and 
highlight or put the different sections of the story. I, I like you use different color for the fonts mm -hmm. so that, and then I would put notes on my second draft as to where I want those sections to go once okay. I get to that point. So it's a pretty um, loose, like a loose plot line or loose outline. I mean, it, it's not detailed, but you kind of have a general, a general roadmap for going yeah, from the beginning to there, the end. Like, insert this after this kind right, of stuff. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That's part of what I'm doing now with writing the third book. Um, I've gone back and pulled some of those ideas from the first draft. Mm -hmm. and put them in the second draft and I'm adding details like pulling ideas meaning like something that you started like this is an integral idea to the, to the plot line of the whole story <laughs> and then you say now I got to develop this in this third book here or is that what you uh, mean yeah. like the the group of main characters encounters this kind of group in this location this is generally what I want the purpose of that encounter to be, and then I transfer it to the second draft and put the detail in there saying, okay, uh, okay. You know, who says what, yeah. who reacts in a certain way, and, and you know, how, sure. how okay. does it become part of the story. So you, you, you have the general framework, the skeleton, and then mm -hmm. you, you put on the muscles and the organs as you write, as you yep. draft. Okay. That's the yeah, that's 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 fascinating. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this this podcast is to learn and talk with other writers and because I know everyone's got their own different process. And some people are like, Well, you must do this and you must do that. No, no, everyone's different. Like right. writing I can't not write without a detailed outline. I just I have to come up with the ideas and I mean the outline could be short, like I think Gage Black was like six pages. You know, it's not I just have things and some of it just inspires as you go, you know, you just kind of write and you let it, let it flow. But I knew basically what happened at every stage of the book. Whereas like I said, the new one was 27 pages. I, it's a lot more structured because there's a lot more elements, you know, to the story. Um, but I, I couldn't go in without having that. I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel confident or safe in a way. I think it would just ramble like I'm doing now, you know, uh, <laughs> that's just my natural inclination, I think. And it's part of it, probably also to my back, my academic background, part of being taught, you know, good student, you're organized, you, you are yeah. writing papers. You, here's your point. And as a teacher, uh, you know, here's what you want to teach. And I, as I taught you and all my other students, you know, outlining is good. And I, I believe what I teach. I practice it. You know, and so I I developed my outlines a lot, um, and I've found that the more the more developed your outline, the easier your drafting will be. And 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 but when I was in school, um, even in elementary through college, I did a lot of outlines. That's how I studied for classes in coursework, I would read the book and then I would create an outline based on what I read. And the the repetition of it helped me memorize things. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do, I don't really do outlines now. Like, like you said, not detailed outlines, but yeah, I, I kind of, it's, 
I wouldn't, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's more, I guess, a casual outline, like yeah. know, insert A into, you know, it's like an instruction manual, insert this into this mm-hmm. part of the story. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, it's what I'm, what I'm, if I'm understanding it correctly, it's like your outline and your plotting or your plotting and your outlining and your drafting kind of evolve bits and pieces at a time. You know, you have a beginning and an end. Yes. But you kind of know what's going to happen. So you have the bookends and then you try to, then the rest kind of feel, feels like you just kind of throw it in like, well, I need to put this here. This sounds about right. And I kind of know what's going on. So I can just kind of write it on the fly. So that sounds like how, how your, how your organization and your, and your that works well, out. Well, I mean, I knew, uh, even though I wrote the beginning and the end first, mm-hmm. the other stuff in the middle is all things I wanted to put in there. Mm-hmm. But I realized a few things once I started the second draft. First of all, you don't have to stick strictly with your first draft. Of course, yes. If, if something doesn't make sense, it's okay to change it. Yes. You know, just because it was my original idea doesn't mean it's the only idea that I can use. Right, um, right. So I had to remind myself that I can be open to changing certain you know, certain things if they don't feel right when I'm writing the rest. Mm-hmm. Precisely. So then, um, well, like last night, but when I was trying to fall asleep, I came up with some ideas that I'm going to put into this third book. I just have to go write them down and I'll probably do that after this. Interview. <laughs> That's good. So, but um, there's, there's things that I, left out of the story that I wrote in the first draft because they didn't make sense once Mm -hmm. I started developing the characters and for me in a way it's not just ideas that come to my head I can see them running through my head like a little story like a little movie yeah so I write things down the way I see them up here Mm -hmm. Um, I know exactly what you I'm a visual writer too I see a movies in my head and I'm simply trying to use the words to convey what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. Now for like, I have a spread, I have another spreadsheet that I I created before I started writing and that spreadsheet are names that are possible names to use in the story. Most of the names that I've used in my book are ones that came from that spreadsheet. Okay. Um, And they're, various ethnicities various nationalities or whatever um and some of them i chose because of the meaning of the word in whatever language and other ones i just chose because i like the way they sounded (laughs) and then there's a few names that i use in there that are kind of immortalized people that big influences on my life positive influence on my life um, is there, is there and, a character named mark justice any, anywhere in there <laughs> <laughs> not yet okay. <laughs> yeah his name's son of a bitch that's what his name is <laughs> speaking of well, names <laughs> yeah well, that's 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 interesting that you you use the spreadsheets for that i i do the same but with word word documents you know i i have folders for each like 
book series and every book has its own folder. Then there's like just like one document for like all the characters. And sometimes the characters have their own documents and one for research and one for all that. It's just, it's just another way of breaking down that information into accessible for you. So I use right. word, you use spreadsheets. It's the same process really. Yeah. yeah. Cause you have to keep track of it all, you know, cause yes. you can't remember all you can't remember it, you know? And then, um, I mean, you're going to come to the point because this is, you know, your first book just came out. When did when did your first book come out? The first novel? Yeah. Because my first books I published in 2019, and those were, I had three poetry collections and then a book about being diagnosed, treated, and living, managing bipolar disorder. Right. I, I wanted to, and I want to talk to about all the poetry because I've read a lot of it. Yeah. And I remember early days, very early days where you would send me poetry and uh, when you were first starting to share what you were writing and I still have everything that you've shared and um, like your Daikami Chronicles. That's pretty, that's came out in 2020 or 2021. The the bloodlines came out. I want to say August of 21 of this year. Oh, Oh, so August. So if four months later, you've got another second book. Okay. Well, because you had so much material, right? It, and it makes sense. You're, yeah, because you've been writing and writing. Right before I had surgery to take the tumor out of my head. Um, and then the second one was just published. Well, I just got the print copies the, this past week. So yeah. I'm hoping. I have some people that uh, want to pick them up for, from me. Um, I just have to make connections with them. And then next Saturday, December 18th, I'm supposed to be, I'm going to be doing a book signing event out at the bookshop in Lakewood on Madison Avenue. Nice. From one to four. Excellent. So we'll we'll I'm hoping everyone get out there and get your book. Of course, this might, this probably be air after that book signing. But if you have other places, you know, you're going to be appearing um, we will make sure everyone knows that and uh, all of those things. Cause that's, that's, Great. I appreciate that you're opening opening it up. up. I, I wanted to talk to you about about that personal experience. Like, what does it feel like for you to be out at these, you know, book events and meeting people who buy your book or your talk? What's that experience like for you? Um, well, the only experience I've had like that so far was in 19 uh, after I published um, – I think my second poetry collection, uh-huh. I did a book signing event at uh, a Dairy Queen in Illyria because the uh, the owner of the Dairy Queen tries to help promote local talent, local uh-huh. businesses or, you know, local interests. So he let me do a book signing there. And uh, it was nice. Most of the people that came were people that I knew, mm-hmm. but there was a couple of people that were just customers that came in to have lunch or whatever. And they approached me just to see what I was about, what I was doing. Um, one person bought my bipolar book, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm glad because I wrote the book to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was diagnosed with bipolar 18 years ago. So I've had 18 years of experience in being treated 
which is multifaceted. It's not just one thing. Um, and then, you know, managing living with it. I've been, you know, like I said, uh-huh. 18 years. And I'm hoping my books will help shorten the amount of time it takes others to get to the same point because it'll help them understand themselves better and it'll help their loved ones understand them better. Yeah. To create that sense of empathy, you know, and, and, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I had my counselor, my bipolar counselor proofread it for me because I wanted to make sure I put in the important things without extra stuff that's not relevant mm-hmm. because you don't want to clutter up the bipolar brain. It already does it on its own. So, <laughs> so right. if you want to want to help somebody understand it, you've got to stick to short, sweet and to the point. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid, so, you know, and, plain language. Um, right. That's my mantra. Yeah. Not saying you're no, stupid, I, I but, but yes, that's the mantra I live by. So I get it. So, like my sister, I let her read the book. And she's like, oh, now I understand. And now you're not as annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's the empathy, you know. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, Well, going going back a little bit to, to, you know, Darkami. Well, before that, you know, this coming year, I when we when we're done, I'm I'm going to. I think I might have mentioned it before. The the people I have been going through to set up book shows, um, they're really wonderful. It's a craft. They do a lot of craft shows and art shows, okay. and so there are other indie writers there too. But they have shows like literally like every weekend next year already booked, and you could book in advance. So I'll I'll send some stuff to you. We'll talk about that. Um, I would recommend that. I think you probably have you know better success or decent success at those shows then because you know going to a book show there aren't too many book shows around and uh, but going to those um people are often looking you know and at things so i've i've had moderate success they're not i kind of broke even i think that's that's fairly successful <laughs> And if that's all you can ask for, if you're not like losing money, uh, <laughs> then I guess it's not so bad. But um, going back to your Darkami Chronicles, you know, now that you've written a second book, um, did you notice that, you know, how was the writing process different or was it different than the first book? Like, did you feel any differently as you were writing this first book than you did on the first one? No, I don't think I did because... All of that stuff was already written. Okay, I so it was a matter of draft. It was a matter of refining it and, and, and rewriting. Okay. I just had to go back, add details, organize a few things. Okay. Uh, and then proofread it to make sure there was continuity. Um, the third book, you're more writing from wholesale though, right? Yes. The third book, okay. I, I still have some of those ideas I'm transferring from the first draft. Sure. But there's a lot more in the third book that wasn't in the first draft. Okay. Um, sure. More to it. <clears throat> yeah. Well, do you feel and, differently as a writer, like going into it? Like, do you feel more confident? Do you feel, you know, more in control over what, what your writing style is, or is it still just kind of still working itself out the same way? You know, the, I mean, I'm obviously by publishing 
hoping that other people will buy the book and read it. But I'm not really doing this from the purview of making money or getting mm-hmm. rich off of it. Because we're not going to, right? We don't. <laughs> right. If we sell a few hundred books, we're doing well. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing the books because I want to be able to say I finished it. Mm-hmm. I completed it. Sure. It's kind of a, and like I said, it's a post 50 year old goal of mine <laughs> to right. finish the book. Yeah. Um, I have other ideas. I've, like I said, I've probably got about a half a dozen novels in probably early draft stages. Um, there's one book that is more of a supernatural, ghostly kind of evil thing going on that I decided to scrap probably about two thirds of the book mm. because I realized after writing the dark comic Chronicles, a lot of the stuff in that first draft of that novel was unnecessary. It's not integral to the storyline. So why bother putting it in there? <laughs> um, I, I still have the main premise and about a third of the story that I wrote that I'm going to use. But um, that's going to be sometime after I finish the Dark Comic Chronicles. I'm hoping to have book three done by the end of next year. Oh, wow. That's that's great. That's pretty ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me know, like when one when, when we're writing, like, let me know if that feels any differently. Um, uh, you know, you already had so much source material and you're still working in this world. I wonder if that's part of why those feelings haven't changed, but like I, I went from one genre to a completely different genre between two books and for different purposes, you know, cozy mystery splatter Western They're, you know, for my second, but um, I'd never done a sequel book and coming back into that world at once felt there was a little bit of apprehension, you know, just thinking, Oh, okay. Is this, is this going to be the same like charming tone and characters that people liked in the first one? But I wasn't the same writer. I couldn't write that first book if you paid me a million dollars because I'm not in the same headspaces as when I wrote that, you know. Mm-hmm. And but what I what I noticed, and I was really surprised that I felt this way. Is I felt much more confident, like as a writer, because I had done four four books now, um, and. It was much more just about telling the story, and I didn't feel scared, Um, you know. And I thought that was a really fascinating thing to feel. I didn't expect it. I had no idea going into it that I would have this weird sense of of I was apprehensive about going back in the town because I'm like, okay, is it going to be the same? But it also felt very comfortable, like, okay, I'm back in this town. The characters. I feel like they're still here, you know? So it was like slipping on a nice flannel shirt that you've had for 10 years, you know? Um, but I just felt confident of my prose, like ability to write a sentence. And uh, so I, I, yeah. I understand it. It's, uh, for me, like it's a comfort zone being in the dark commie world. Um, or yeah, I'm, I should probably make myself a note <laughs> to come up with a name for the work. Yes, you gotta have a name. Yeah, in fact, I'm gonna put a note in my phone right now because otherwise I will forget. 
That's good. Make name. <laughs> name the damn world. <laughs> That'll be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they gotta call it something. Um, do you have a favorite time that, that you write? Like, what's your favorite time to write? Time of the day. Yeah, time of day. Not really. Uh, probably most effective writing in the afternoon because I've had my caffeine, so my brain's awake. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, it, in the evenings, I'm usually more geared toward just relaxing mm-hmm. so that um, and so that your insomnia kicks in so you can be up all night. You got to relax when you can. <laughs> yes, fellow insomniacs, unite. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's an awful feeling. Um, I found that uh, now with this third book, because so much of it is not written yet, I've had a few periods of writer's block. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, those have only lasted maybe a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then I get the flow back. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know if it's my chemo brain or if it's just normal writer's block that makes m- makes my brain just, like, stop working all of a sudden, like, okay, I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> Time to take a break. <laughs> yes, I have that feeling like I'm in the middle of a sentence. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm writing like, oh, yeah. And then I'm like, I get conscious of the fact that I'm typing words. I'm like, what are my fingers doing? What am I? What am I? What was I doing? Yeah, <laughs> I get that yep. from time to time. It's kind of a, it's kind of a terrifying but wonderful feeling. But you know? one thing I don't know if you use it much, but I find myself using Dictionary.com. I use the mm. thesaurus section a lot because I don't want to be redundant mm-hmm. with some of the with the words I use. Yeah. So I use it a lot to try to figure out alternate ways to say things that I've said before mm-hmm. without repeating the exact same words. No, that's, you know, that's good that you, you have to have those around. I, I use them as well. I'll do search engines. Like some, or I'll do a, a Google something like research for my book, like for Gage Black, because it's a historical book. So I had to look up stuff that was going on in 1876 to 1879, you know, like, what kind of weapons were used and mail routes throughout the West, you know, things like that, you know, so I, it's part of why I wrote a fantasy because I didn't want to have to do all that historical research. Cause mm-hmm. the older I get, the less I remember. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, the, the, that's, yes, I get it. Um, I figured if I create the world, nobody can tell me it's wrong because I created it. It just, it is what it is. Unless you forget the continuity. Yeah. You know, but right. I try this character had red hair. Now you have brown, <laughs> like 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 you said <laughs> earlier, right? Yeah. No, I get it. I, I part of me is always going to be an academic because I always loved learning and I loved teaching uh, for a while anyway. Uh, and I still have that. I still like to learn, and so research for me is exciting because it's the details. You know, yeah. uh, the details matter if if you're doing something in a historical context. You know, Death's Head takes place in like 1930s. In the early 1930s, like 32, I think. So I had to find out what was going on in the area, you know, near Haiti and researched Haiti and that, and voodoo and all those things. So I wanted to be accurate, 
You know, I wanted to be respectful of their religion. And um, I wrote that book listening to voodoo music, like a five-hour loop of voodoo drums and music. And I just had that on. I was just like, you know, <laughs> it and letting it come inside of me, you know. And, and yeah. but yeah, but it was all research to make it, one, it had to be accurate and two, respectful. But, right. but in your fantasy world, I, you know, you don't necessarily have to do the research, but you just need to be consistent with it. You're creating a world and it needs to have laws and rules that apply consistently, you yes. know, into that world. So as long as you're able to kind of hold that together, you know, you're gold. I know I sent you the file on the rising darkness and I know you read some of it. The new um, one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 Right. I did. I, I, I stopped about 70 pages in um, and then life got busy, but I do want to finish reading it. I, yeah. Let me know what you think of it. Sure. I mean, did you finish the first one or did you just read like halfway through? It, I think, I think I got about halfway through and then I, I then I started these graduate classes. You know, oh, yeah. um, and then I've just, I've just been working. I mean, the first 10 weeks of grad classes were like, I'm working full time as a student, you know, yeah. Third, the, between the, between the, all the classes, you know, probably 30 or 40 hours a week, um, right. as, a, as, as a student, you know, <laughs> so I stopped reading, I stopped writing. I mean, I was writing tons, uh, for my classes, but no, I, I totally get it, but no, I will. I, I want to, because I'm I'm invested in this world and the story, and it's because you're my friend, and I I want to read your work. I really do that. Yeah, that's I, I, I still, important. A little part of me still perceives you as a an instructor as well, or a mentor in some way. Thank you. And that'll probably always be there. But yes, we are. We I'll are make sure to lord it over you at all times. <laughs> Remember me, your mentor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, well, that I, I you know I um I didn't know that I I I played that role. I, I'm very grateful. I'm humbled by that. So thank you. I'm not used to uh, thinking of myself in those terms. I'm just some, I'm just some goofball. But um, thank you. That's that means a lot. I, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yes, I I just the older I get, the more I realize you're better off just saying it like it is. <laughs> Right. Give credit where credit is due. Uh, that's something I don't think we do enough as a society. Um, I think they either do too much of it or not enough of it, and they can't find that middle ground where, because if if you perceive everybody as being special, then nobody's special. Right. So, like, I think yeah. we all have our abilities and gifts and talents yes. and personalities, and that's that's great. Some people and, are able to do more through luck or through hard work or both, you know, chance, fate, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, to have that success. As a Druid, I believe that everybody has a gift and it can only benefit us if we share that gift with others. That's part of the reason we're here is Mm -hmm. to share our gifts with, you know, other people and improve upon ourselves in areas where we lack mm-hmm. it, it gives us a purpose in life and i've been told by several people 
about my poetry, I started, I published those in 2019 because I'd entered a poetry contest and took second place. And then I got introduced to a group of poets that would um, meet in Amherst once a month to open mic. And I started reading, you know, I would go there and read my poetry and I got a lot of encouragement from the people there that said, you really need to start sharing this with other people, you know, get this published because this stuff is really good. So that, that had to feel of, wonderful. It did, especially I wrote, I wrote written more than one, but the first poem I wrote about what it feels like to be bipolar um, actually made somebody cry. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> like I'm sorry she's like no no this is this isn't a bad thing she cried because she didn't know other people felt like that she thought mm. she was one and when she heard the word she's like I'm not alone yeah and th- that really touched her that's an incredible meaningful connection to have that to it's you validated everything that she's gone through and to have that moment of validation means everything to know that you're not alone, that isolation goes away and you realize other people have gone through this. Uh, boy, it just, it is such a it's feeling of relief. Off of you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh God. Right. I felt the same way when I writing toxic, you know, um, I am deconstructing 40 years of Pentecostal upbringing and, um, to find out that my thoughts and my feelings about, you know, feeling like I was ripped off and my anger with all those things uh, that I wasn't the only one who had gone through that, that, um, that felt really good to have someone validate that and reach out and say, I know that um, I've been there and I know what you're feeling. That, that means the world, you know? Without getting into deep, I think we perceive religion in this country the wrong way. I think because it's such a personal thing, I think that people shouldn't just take for granted because because Christianity is so deeply embedded in our society. They need, we need to learn about religions and spiritual paths there's a difference between a religion and spiritual path Judaism Mm -hmm. is a spiritual path um but I think people need to read about this stuff and figure out what works what's right for them and not just go off the assumption that this is what society offers this is what you're Mm -hmm. stuck with you know what I mean right well with with some religion you know like the Christianity says we're the only right way that's what yes. makes it so difficult. And why are there so many different sects of S E C T S of Right. And they all say they're the right they're the right ones. Yes, um, they all say they're the right ones. Right, like, which well, is how can you all be right. Exactly. Right. Where's God <laughs> saying, No, this is the one? It's harder to confront that everything you've been taught has been a lie or it's been made up and you're being taught the belief but there's no basis in reality for it. And if you really did the research on how the Bible was constructed and written and stories stolen from this place and this place yeah. um, and regurgitated. The and, that were stolen yeah. And church history saying, we're going to change this. And it wasn't until the 1500s that this idea came about. And, you know, when you realize, when you see it all and how much people have had their hands in it, then you realize it's I, not divine at all. You know? I firm, firmly believe that organized religion like Christianity was created to control the mass population. 
Certainly. That's why the church, the Catholic church didn't want people to learn how to read. It's easier to tell them this is what God says, you know? Yeah. And and I found this amusing. Um, A few years back, I had to go downtown Cleveland for a hearing on an unemployment case. I was the first one to arrive. And the guy's like, well, I might as well swear you in. So he did, you know, raise your right hand, right hand, <laughs> whatever. And, you know, you're right or my right. right. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you swear to blah, 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 blah. So help you God. I said, I don't believe in God. And the look on his face was so funny because it wasn't that he was upset at me. He was just like, uh, well, I do this job now. Right? He's like, <laughs> Who I, do I make you swear to you. He's like, yeah. He's like, I don't know what, what, what to make you swear on. Myself, <laughs> I promise, I'm not just because I don't believe in God doesn't mean I'm a fucking baby murderer. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I can be a moral, <laughs> I can be a moral person even though I don't believe in God. It's, you know, if 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 it takes hellfire to make you act like a rational, sane human being, then that you're not really one at all. You know, I know far too many hypocrites. Based yeah. on oh, of course. And, well, yes. And, and, you know, even Christmas is a holiday that they borrowed, borrowed from Druids and other pagan followers. Yeah, that the, that the, the Romans holidays, borrowed from them. Right. The holiday is the winter solstice. And that's in the Northern Hemisphere, the, the day we have the most night hours of night and the shortest days. That's the holiday, but Christianity borrowed it, made it Christmas, mm-hmm. and as in an effort to convert people from their ancient. Oh, sure. Yeah, they still wanted them to have the festivals and all the trappings of their faith, but they just want to say, "Well, worship a different god. Don't worship that tree. Worship the Savior." Um, but we'll let you keep your wreaths and all that. Right, and the same <laughs> thing with with Easter. You know, um, it's uh, the whole symbolism of the death and the rebirth, which in Shinto is the, the the Nagare, the flow of life. Well, in my second book, The Rising Darkness, when you do get further into it, there is a chapter that talks about the creator and how that world became created and how life got created. And it is, you know, as I said, it's presented as history, mm-hmm. not mythology. So right. I hope, it, let me know your thoughts on it when you do get to read that part of it. because. Sure. Um, I, I think it's a credible belief system, but then again, it came from my head. So, right. Of course it makes sense. It came out of your <laughs> noggin. You're waking up one day going, I'm a genius. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'll be happy to. Um, yeah, I, uh, it's hard for me to put in a, uh, I, even if I had a fantasy, it would be about the dismantling of of those things because that's what I'm doing in my life. I'm just deconstructing decades of abuse and uh, damage, you know. But right. I have in my cozy, I have a very one of my favorite characters um, is an Episcopalian priest, uh, um, Father Marin, um, and. I wrote him as every bit as loving as I would have wanted someone in that role and understanding and open and malleable and, and someone who had common sense and tried to just be for lack of better terms, a 
Christ-like person, but without all the stuffiness. You know, he smokes cigarettes. And I looked up what kind of cigarettes would he smoke. And he smokes these little, like, uh, black devil or red devil cigarettes or black devil, I think. Because he was in Europe. I'm like, oh, European cigarettes. Oh, I got to have him smoking these black devil cigarettes. That's that's perfect for a priest to wear these, you know, uh, or smoke these. And and his his clothing too is not traditional, so that made me happy because at the core he understands those things don't matter, you know his spiritual belief is founded in something better. So while I would have a, I would he's one character that I would love to have a sit down with and just talk about my experience and his experience. I don't I don't have too many other experiences with my characters like that. Like I want to meet them and talk with them i think i'd like that but i've never fantasized in my head what that would be like i know other writers do and i as i was going to you know dovetail back to you like do you have any characters like that like that you have sought you personally colleen would like to meet and talk to and have a conversation with oh characters in my book that i would like to know yeah right i think the one I would probably be most interested in and talking to is Kahira's grandmother. Because Kahira's grandmother is the historian for the town in which they live. It's a small town. She's a historian. She keeps all the records going back to the um, origins of the town. Um, and she also has, well, the family has a library called the dungeon that Mm -hmm. has a lot of antiquity, uh, scrolls and pieces of parchment, books and stuff that are written about times prior to the founding of the, the, the town they live in. And, um, but it's mostly the history there is not as much about the place as it is about the people. And, um, but she, the, the, the grandmother, um, I believe her name's Eliana. And she, uh, like I said, she keeps all the records, but she has mm. all this historical stuff, you know, symbols, phrases, events, chronic, you know, chronicling events and stuff um, that I think would probably be the most interesting to me. And uh, um, a little background on that. The last time I was asked if I could talk to somebody, anybody, living or dead, uh, or interview them, who would I interview? Uh And I know this was in um, my senior year of high school. And a lot of people were coming up with um, celebrities or what, living or dead or whatever. I chose my grandfather. Because he was a living piece of history at a time that will never be duplicated. He was born in 1900, which means he saw horse and buggies, uh, outhouses, 
wells instead of indoor plumbing. And he lived all the way through that into the time of space travel in the early time, early days of video games and computers. There's never going to be another generation like that with that yeah. kind of development. You know, I mean, I know technology develops rather quickly nowadays, yeah. but it's still computers and technology. It, it's not like the same leap from. Unless we're in Jetsons cars in the next 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, um, right. But yeah, yeah that's, I, I get it. It's an amazing span to go from not having these things to like in a hundred years, we've had more progress than we've had in the history of the entire civilization as we know it, you know, and that's, that's pretty astonishing. But yeah. So yeah, I think that that's part of what draws me to the grandmothers because she has this affinity for history and this appreciation of history. And I think we can learn a lot about from our history Mm-hmm. As long as we stop trying to overwrite it. Yeah. Right. Learn from history um, and change, but getting rid of it, obliterating it, taking it down, doesn't doesn't give you that chance to learn from it. You're just covering up and pretending that it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, switching topics, going back to you and, and writing specifically, just a couple of kind of generalized things. Like, tell me how you felt seeing your book in print for the first time. Uh, I was like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just I showed it to my husband and my son. I was like, look what I got. <laughs> but uh, then I sent out text messages to, to friends uh, to let them know that I had a book and, and, and see if they wanted copies of it and I sold a few copies the like I said the the people that I know that have read bloodlines said they very much enjoyed it they liked they said it flows smoothly the characters are likable and relatable most of them of course it also stands the reason that you're going to have negative characters in there too that of course people can relate to those to yeah episodes. you need to have those foils and those villains you can't you can't have everyone be nicey nice like no. even in a cozy mystery i've got a couple characters one in particular um who's just the bad guy you know she's a great character to write because she just doesn't give a rat's ass about anyone <laughs> you know she just her only regret is only having you know Two middle fingers, I think, you know, she wishes she's just, she just wants it all. Um, yeah, no, I, I get it. Uh, that's a, that's a I great. You have a, to have the, 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 the negative characters to appreciate the positive ones even more. Well, yeah, you need a foil. I mean, the character in the grand scheme of things, we're talking, you know, Campbellian, mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell, like, you know, the hero's journey and stuff like that. The villain defines the hero in a way, you know, yeah. you can't have a, a hero without a villain. You have to have that world of characters, even in the cozy mystery universe, everyone's sweet, but you try to make them real believable people. You know, that's the mm-hmm. thing It's it's a hallmark kind of movie where everyone's nice, um, but you got to make them real people. People get that they get, whether a character is real or believable or not. And if people are telling you they like these characters or they hate this character, that's a real honest emotion to something yeah. that you've created. And that, that's a really good feeling to make people feel something one way or another. That's great. 
is. If people can feel something real through what you're writing, that's, that's a really amazing sense of accomplishment. That's an amazing feeling. Well, there's a saying, the mind is malleable. Play with it often. <laughs> there you go. When you think about your writer fantasy, like you've been writing these things, and what's your ultimate writer fantasy? At the end of the day, what do you want to accomplish? You know, what would be your idyllic fantasy ending to to your writer journey? Hmm. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about the ending. About do you mean the ending? Well, maybe not the- an end, but like if you think about now as a writer, you're fantasizing into the future. Well, no, in 20 years, what what would you have wanted to accomplish? Have accomplished in that time? I think it would be nice to have some kind of regional success with this. Yeah. That, that you know enough people have read the books that it leaves like a lasting imprint on people. True. Um, actually, I kind of hope that like the creation story in here um, will give some people something to think about as far as their own faith, spirituality mm-hmm. and stuff goes. Like, oh, you know what? Just because this isn't what I believe doesn't mean it's not possible that it, that it can happen this way. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I also, I think, I think I'm doing an okay job at um, putting like little lessons in the story about, you know, living society and connecting with people and using events and characters in, in the story that will either help or expand a person's perspective um, or maybe they'll learn something about how to relate to people or how to handle a certain situation or something from it something that's just a lasting influence on somebody it doesn't have to be a hundred thousand people if the way i see it, it if it influences one person in a positive way, then that, that's good. That's a that's, good thing. That's excellent. What kind of advice would you give to anyone who wants to write? They're thinking, you know, I, I had considered writing something. Um, I never wrote anything. Is there anything that you would tell them? Someone who comes up to you and says, wow, I, I kind of been wanting to write a book. What, what, advice, what advice could you give them? I would... <laughs> Tell them to find their way to organize the thoughts. Um, like you said, it's what works for you and outline what works for me. Just notes written in different color fonts or whatever. Start with the overall beginning. And I would start with the beginning and the end and fill in the middle. You know, uh, if you know where you're going, it makes it easier to figure out how to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Got to know where you're going to go. And I would advise them. Well, actually, prior to publishing my first novel, I was asked to read 
uh, a friend of a friend of my sister. She's in her early twenties. Wrote uh, fiction, and my sister asked me to proofread for her. And of course, from aside from the grammar and the spelling, which I. <laughs> I have to correct people when they spell things wrong or um, screw up their gram their their uh, punctuation. It drives me bonkers with text messages when people don't put punctuation in text. But anyway, um, you I must have had a good English instructor. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from those things, I you know I told her, don't be redundant with the adjectives you use. Um, if you're, you know, it's okay to use similar wording for things, but spread them out. Don't cluster them up and use the same adjective, you know, in three different sentences that are all like clustered together because there's, there's multiple ways of saying the same thing. And I think for a writer, advising people to do that will help them expand their own vocabulary and make them a better writer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Good advice. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about, and we'll just talk briefly, um, is you know, your, your books of poetry. I want to ask about your writing poetry because it's a very different process. Um, how is writing poetry different than writing fiction for you? Yeah, it is different. Um, and, and it varies, actually. Some of the poems... It just came, I mean, I got the idea and then the words just kind of flowed. And then there were other ones that took me longer because I knew what I wanted to write a poem about. I just had to figure out the organization and the, the, <clears throat> the flow. I think the writing, I think the flow of the reading is probably the hardest part to do. Um, I guess the rhythm was the hardest part for me to nail down. But once I figured out the rhythm, then the, the words started coming together more easily. Because mm-hmm. um, you have a structure you've got to write. Yeah. That can also be very um, limiting too. You know, if you need a three-syllable word, then you're kind of forced sometimes to put words in there that you may not necessarily yeah. want, but, but I, I get it. I totally, totally understand the struggle. I did go out, you know, I would go outside a little bit outside the rhythm. Sometimes if I thought the words, if I felt strongly about the wording, I, I didn't always stick to that um, rhythm because I thought the, the words were more important. Ah, I found it. This is the bipolar poem I was talking about. And I thought maybe uh, I could read it. Sure. That'd be great. All right. Strings of thought whirl about where sense and logic have no place. One by one building a cage around my mind. I can't escape this beverage of bipolar manic with a depression chaser. Random compulsions, a mental circuit breaker. Cargo of joy, fear, rage, and impatience. The unexpected takes its toll. 
limitless emotions along this misguided road. The force of, of a sudden shift, fissures open and thoughts explode. Hijacked emotions cascade outward, security and reason I cannot hold. Floating in a sea of instability, irrational isolation and wandering lost, always wondering what is real and what is not. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I remember seeing that poem in an earlier stage. Yeah. And still, I mean, why I really like the, the imagery of the mind being in a cage. Um, my favorite line is still with the manic chaser. You know, that, that is just so strikes me um, as so, so potent of an image you know if like a beer with a whiskey chaser you know or you get the, also the chaser you know the the, the, the you know volt, variable meanings to that and so no i i still uh it's so very you this is your style i've read a lot of your poetry and this is this is very you so thank you for reading that um what do you enjoy most about writing poetry um, I don't know, really. <laughs> I don't think there's a... Well, that's okay if you don't know. Um, it's all right. I think the... Trying to get the imagery and, you know, when when people react to it in a way that I can tell it, like, gets to them, it connects with them, that's the best part, but that's not, that ha doesn't have anything to do with writing the poetry. That's yeah. having people read it. Sure. But so I, I guess. But you do the, it. you perform the poetry though. You read, this is what you read at your, you know, when you're going to doing performance night, you're reading poetry and that's where you've made connections to people, you know, yeah. as well. So, cause there is something about the performance of reading. Maybe if you have me on your blog again sometime down the future, I can share a few more poems with you. I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, you're always yeah. welcome, you know, to come back and just to reading. There's a lot of things. Uh, my poetry, the inspiration for my poetry is very diverse. Some of it is people. Some of it is emotions. Some of it is events, rather political, social, natural weather phenomenon or whatever. There, there are a lot of influences that um, inspired my, my poetry writing. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I would, I wouldn't mind coming on again sometime and sharing some of that, the diverse writing and just kind of getting your impressions of it as well. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to have you back on, you know. So uh, I'm going to give you a spot now where you can promote your work. Once you show us your books, tell <laughs> tell us where we can get them. Where can we find your books? Okay. Okay. Look at that. that yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and where can we get these lovely books? Okay. Well, um you can get them through me. Um, probably you can get them cheaper through me than you could at a store. But let me tell you the stores that do have them for sale right now. Roxy's Emporium on Middle Avenue in Elyria. 
The We're talking Ohio. Ohio, right? This Ohio. is going. I guess is going across the world now. Right. Okay. Seven billion people can access this <laughs> podcast. So. Um, the Crystal Era, also on Middle Avenue in Elyria, Ohio. That's across from the high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe after the book signing that I do next week, the, the bookstore in Lakewood will also have copies for sale. Okay. Uh, in Lakewood, Ohio. That's on Madison Avenue. And then, like I said, through me, they can buy them. Um, they are they available on Amazon? They are available on Amazon, yes. Okay, so people around the world who are not in Ohio, that might be the quick place. Or, um, and can people contact you? Is there like an email? Well, I don't want to give you necessarily personal email addresses, but no. Um, the the first book is on Amazon in print and in ebook. Nice. The second book is in print. I haven't finished the ebook one yet, but that'll go up uh, available on ebook probably in the next week or two. Okay. Um, and yes, I mean, it's up to you if you want to. I can give my email address and people can contact me to get books. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, go out, get these two magnificent fantasy books, get lost in the world of the Dark Comic Chronicles. Um, do you expect one more book, or do you think there'll be four books in a series total, or do you have an idea? When it's all said I'm and done. I'm sure it's going to end up being four. Four books, okay. We have a lot of material to add into it. Sure. And like I said, as I'm writing, more things are coming to me. Always it's does. Probably, yep. It, it's probably going to end up being four novels. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Colleen, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And uh, I hope you had some fun today. I did. Good. But now it's lunchtime. <laughs> I just lunchtime exactly right. So, you've been watching and listening to Between the Lines. You can find us at unsaneradio.com. Download full episodes or listen to your device. You can watch us on our YouTube page, Between the Lines Podcast. And if you have any questions or concerns, or you want to contact Colleen, you can email me at Between the Lines fifty four at yahoo.com. So. So here's my cheesy send-off line until I come up with a new one. (laughs) See you next time between the lines. (laughs) Bye-bye.